Welcome, I'm Anastasia Glova bringing you the Cato Daily Podcast. Full and edited versions of our podcasts are available on our website at www.cato.org. Last month marked 37 years since the crew of Apollo 11 took the first moonwalk in recorded history. Since this momentous event, many have wondered what is next for NASA and whether its engineers and astronauts will ever be able to take humans to Mars. Cato adjunct scholar and director of the D.C. Office of the Objectivist Center, Edward Hutchins, ponders the future of NASA. Why aren't we a spacefaring civilization today, almost 40 years after the first moon landing? One word, government. Look, governments can do a good job throwing lots of money at some particular limited problem, for example, producing an atomic bomb or going to the moon. But what governments simply cannot do ever is commercialize goods and services, that is to bring down the cost, bring up the quality, and make them available to the public, whether it's automobiles, whether it's airplanes, whether it's airline tickets, whether it's personal computers, whether it's the Internet. All of those things, it has been the private sector that has commercialized them. The government has tended to monopolize space travel, both civilian and as well as, of course, defense, since the uh, days of Apollo. And that is why we're not a spacefaring civilization today. The government simply crowds out or regulates out the private sector alternatives. What if NASA simply doesn't have the resources that they need? The U.S. Senate Appropriations Committee just approved a $16.75 billion budget for NASA. Are we spending too much or too little? <laughs> well, it's too much. I'd like to say that basically any spending on this sort of thing is is too much, in part, of course, because it actually doesn't help us become a spacefaring civilization, but also for many, many other reasons. Look, the reason why the costs are often so high is because the government's doing it. For example, in the movie 2001, A Space Odyssey, which came out in 1968, there was this pod that was used to work outside of the spaceship. NASA actually planned to construct a pod in the early 80s to help build a space station. Now, they decided not to use that approach, but their design, they figured, would cost about a billion dollars to design plus to build a prototype. Interestingly enough, at the same time, oceanographers were working on a very similar problem. They wanted to make a sort of a pod or a vehicle to go on the bottom of the ocean, which faces similar challenges, lots of pressure, in this case, the pressure from the outside. If there's the least little error and you're in the bottom of the ocean, you're going to be dead. Interestingly enough, the people who were designing that craft were also the people who were going to be in it. They did it for a million dollars compared to a billion for the government. Take a look at the International Space Station. The space station was originally proposed in the mid-1980s. It was supposed to cost $8 billion. It was supposed to be in orbit by the uh, early 1990s and have a maximum crew of 12. Well, we are now over 20 years later. The cost is going to be at least $50 billion and probably closer to $100 billion when all the redesigns are taken into account. Over the years, they've had to redesign the thing over and over again to downsize it. So now the crew tends to be only three instead of a dozen. This is a typical government project. This is basically taking billions of dollars and literally throwing it into space. The shuttle isn't a whole lot better. The shuttle is a terrible way of getting most things into orbit. It's kind of like using a stretch limo to go down to the corner store to get a gallon of milk. They overbuilt the thing, and that's why you have a lot of technical problems. It cost a minimum of a half a billion dollars just to launch the thing. Governments just don't do these things terribly well. Will NASA ever be able to take us back to the moon or to Mars? 
I don't think so, or at least not the way they're going. I mean, let's take an example. In 1989, on the 20th anniversary of the first moon landing, President Bush I asked NASA to figure out how much it would cost to go to Mars, because he said, we're going to go to Mars, that's our next venture. Well, NASA came back and said, oh, it'll cost $450 billion. Well, of course, that killed that pretty quickly. An interesting guy who was literally a rocket scientist at the time, Robert Zuprin, who's now the head of the Mars Society, working then for Martin Marietta, actually did his own mission model. Very, very innovative. For example, the biggest cost of flying in space is carrying your fuel. He said, why not send an unmanned lander to Mars to convert carbon dioxide in the atmosphere into methane and oxygen, which can be used as rocket fuel. Therefore, you'll have your fuel waiting on Mars before you ever get there. He figured that his approach would cost 20 to $30 billion dollars compared to $450 billion for the NASA approach. I mean, that's the kind of thing you're talking about. Or consider another example. Congressman Bob Walker, former Congressman Walker, uh, at a Cato conference, did an interesting talk. It's reproduced in the book Space, The Free Market Frontier. Congressman Walker said, look, if the government wants to get back to the moon, they insist on being involved, why not this? Instead of building hardware, why doesn't the government simply say, we will offer a prize, 20 or 25 years tax exemption for any company that can produce a full-time moon base, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. Now think about it. Number one, there'll be nothing coming out of the taxpayers' pockets for constructing the moon base. The private company would do it. Number two, even though I'm not particularly concerned about the loss of revenue, which would occur after the moon base is constructed, and when the company like a GE or a Microsoft suddenly becomes tax-free for 20 years, think of all the economic activity generated in the process of building a moon base. And a private company would use that infrastructure once it was in place for all sorts of things. They would probably be offering people two-week trips to the moon and doing many, many other things. So you really have to take a look at, at the fact that the government simply can't do things very efficiently. There's always bureaucracy involved. There's always politics involved. That's a key point. Many of NASA's decisions are made based on politics, not based on what would be good for science or anything else. What are the private sector alternatives? Well, the private sector alternatives are many. We saw the X Prize, which was a private prize of $10 million for anyone who could produce a private rocket that could put a human being into space twice in a two-week period. And that was run by a guy named Bert Rattan. Uh, he was backed by Paul Allen, one of the co-founders of Microsoft. And they are now working with Richard Branson, who owns Virgin Atlantic Airlines, to produce private rockets to start a private space tourism business. I'll give you another example. A man named Robert Bigelow has put up a $25 million prize for anyone by the end of the decade who can produce a rocket that can put a human being onto an orbiting platform or station in space. Now, why is Mr. Bigelow putting up that kind of money? Because he is building a private space station of his own. They just had a test launch recently. I've actually been to their facilities and uh, Mr. Bigelow hopes to have in three launches the same kind of internal station space that it's going to take NASA dozens of launches to put up on its international station, in other words, for a fraction of the price. The biggest problem that the private sector faces, however, is the government, government regulations in this country and government export controls because these private companies have been and want to work closer with private Russian companies to launch things into orbit. And their big concern, certainly Bigelow Aerospace's big concern, is that they're going to put lots of money into these efforts, 
and then the U.S. government is going to step in and regulate them to death. So the private sector is there and ready if the government will get out of the way. If the government insists on staying in the space business, the minimum it should do is contract out for services rather than buying hardware. If they need mapping data of the moon, they should simply contract out for the data. They should start contracting out for flights into space. That will help create a private space sector, which is the same way, by the way, that the government contracted out for aircraft in the 1920s and 30s. The space program is often justified as part of national greatness, but this is a false sense of greatness. It's a false sense of pride. Why should we have pride in the government taking people's money from them against their will and wasting it in a way that is not going to actually advance us in terms of being a spacefaring civilization? Shouldn't we have more pride in the private entrepreneurs who have commercialized everything in this country from the Internet to air conditioners to automobiles to airplanes? I think I would have more pride in a country that let the private sector operate so that we could actually have private flights into orbit rather than to make it a thing that only a very small number of people can ever experience because it's so costly because the government is doing it. Why is that a sign of national pride? It's a sign of national stupidity. The book mentioned in this podcast, Space, the Free Market Frontier, is available from the Cato Online Bookstore at www.catostore.org. This has been Cato Daily Podcast. Thank you for listening.